Gale's open, they're away in the Golden Slipper, there's a great start, and Mick Mitt Basque on the extreme outside is about the first out, Jack Boyle. Jackler on the outside, lunging, but Catlin opening just in front, Jackler trying desperately, can't reach him. Catlin opening has lasted to win the Doncaster by a hit, the Jackler. This Iron podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Inglis. The New South Wales Central Coast attracts thousands of holiday makers over the Christmas New Year period. A reminder to those who fancy a race meeting that the Gosford Race Club will host one of the best provincial meetings of the year on Tuesday, December the 29th, featuring the $160,000 Group 3 Bell of the Turf over 1,600 metres for fillies and mares. Co-feature will be the $150,000 listed Gosford Guineas of 1,200 metres for the three-year-olds. If you can't make it to this meeting, you get a second bite of the cherry. Two days later, New Year's Eve, the Gosford Race Club will race again. You get a wonderful view of the action from all vantage points at Gosford and facilities are second to none. It's a friendly little race place at Gosford, the perfect venue for a post-Christmas day out for the Central Coast Revelers. 29th and 31st of December at Gosford. The easy win by Streets of Samori in a maiden plate at Canamble at the end of November was a significant one for jockey Kath Bell Pitamac. It marked the 80th career win for the 37-year-old mature-age apprentice and it also terminated her country claim. Kath had her first race ride 18 years ago when apprenticed to Terry Drayton at Newcastle and in only her second season, she and Mitchell Bell, to whom she's not related, shared the honours on the Newcastle Jockey Club Apprentices Premiership Ladder. In her third season, the legacy of injuries and a few emotional problems saw Kath walk away from racing and she stayed away for 10 years. In that time, she and her partner, jockey Daniel Pitamac, became the parents of two children, Caitlin, who's now 14, and Marcus, who's now nine. In 2012, Daniel got an offer to become stable jockey for trainer Jim McMillan at Wellington, New South Wales, which almost certainly assured him of regular rides in the Central West, Kath elected to stay on the Central Coast with the children, but whenever logistically possible, she and the kids would meet up with Daniel at Lithgow for an overnight stay. After a year, and with Daniel well established, Kath decided to make the move to Wellington. It wasn't long before she was riding one or two horses in work, and that quickly became four or five. One day, somebody suggested she should consider joining the rather thin ranks of picnic jockeys. And so in the 2016-17 season, Cathbell Pitamac returned to the racetrack as an amateur rider, never dreaming this would be her path back to a professional career. My good friend Cole Hodges was the first to tell me about the adventures of Cathbell Pitamac, and Cole suggested she would be an inspiring podcast guest. So here she is. Kath, a big welcome to the podcast. Thank you, John. Thank you so much for having me. It's a, it's a real honour to be on here. You get around a bit. You were at Dubbo on Saturday the 19th. 
Gunnedah last Tuesday, Orange last Monday, Warren on Friday the 11th, and you drive not always alone. Sometimes you pick up a fellow jockey along the way. Uh, yeah, def- definitely makes the trips easier when you've got someone to share it with. Uh, and I think on, on both behalf, it helps me to have the company, but it also helps other people that may be doing long hours that uh, you, know, you can share the driving and make the trip easier. Um, and I, I think that's an important part of, of racing. We're all competing, but it's also nice to be able to help each other mm. outside of the actual race. <laughs> you know, years ago, many bush jockeys would have full-time jobs in their hometown and ride on Saturdays only. Now, today, if you're prepared to work and travel, you can ride at four or five meetings a week. Yes, yes, there's, there's plenty of races on um, to give us the opportunity to, to have that as your full-time job. Um, uh, I When I came back into racing, when I signed back up as an apprentice, I was actually working as a gymnastics coach at the PCYC and had to weigh up the hours there and the hours here. And, and the more racing I had, the less hours I was available to teach. So I uh, mm. had to make the switch over. But, uh, yeah, definitely can, can give you a, a nice regular regular income but also a regular time to hit out. It's hard to hard to get your fitness up and everything when you're only riding once a week or once a fortnight. So mm. when you can ride regularly, it's a good thing. Yep. You know, there have been a handful of successful jockeys who'd never been on a horse until they entered a stable, but that doesn't apply to you. You were born at Barmara, a little town in South Australia on the famous Lake Bonnie Riverland, but at age five, you moved with your family to another little town called Beaufort in Victoria, where your grandparents owned a supermarket, and you and your family went there to help them get the business up and running. And by then, you were already a veteran of the saddle. Uh, yes, I, I think uh, I was very lucky early on that all I wanted to do was ride and probably didn't always get the chance. So uh, when we when we moved to Beaufort, my mum and my sister both had a horse and I used to sit on the fence and watch them. And I was just so – I'd be so desperate for that five-minute ride at the end of the day when they were finished because I didn't have my own pony. Uh, so I was always wanting it, was always chasing it. And the day that we went and picked up a horse for me to ride, that I'll, I'll never forget a uh, little grey horse called Logan and, and absolutely loved him. Uh, all I ever wanted to do was go faster and he was as, as slow as you could possibly get. But uh, that was, yeah, the first, first memory of having my own horse and will always be a, a good one. Mm. When you were 10 – your family opted for a dramatic change of lifestyle. Your mum and dad were offered jobs at Barrow Creek, almost 300 kilometres north of Alice Springs. And for the next two years, your education came from the famous School of the Air, nowadays conducted on the internet. In your day, I think it was still being conducted by radio. Yes, we had our, our radio lessons twice a week. So we'd get given our set work, our book work, two weeks worth, two weeks worth of work at a time would get sent out and you could get through that as quickly or as, as slow as you wanted and then you had to sign in for two radio lessons uh, and, and you have a lot of problems with reception hearing the teacher. At, uh, it wasn't the easiest experience but uh, in hindsight when we had to do homeschooling with the kids here during COVID, it was good to have had that experience because at least I knew what they were going through a little bit. Mm. Were you conscious of the remoteness and the loneliness of Barrow Creek? Uh, oh, probably not so much because I had the horses. 
was 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 never much of a social person. Uh, I think at school I'd, I used to always be around on myself and when I finished school and got to go out to the horses, that's where I was happy. So when we moved up there, uh, the older kids all went to boarding school that lived on the property, so I didn't have many children around, but I just got to spend the whole time riding, so it couldn't have been much better for me. No, I'll say. <laughs> After two years, the family moved to Alice Springs and uh, you got to go to regular school there and you got to further your riding education. Now, this is a good story. They had an amazing system at Alice Springs whereby you'd have pony club one weekend, dressage the next, show jumping the next, and on the fourth weekend you'd have saddle horse club. So uh, by this uh, you, you must have had a small herd of ponies of your own. Uh, yeah, it was, was lucky enough that when we did move to the Northern Territory, um, there was sort of, we took four horses up that we'd arranged for, for four different kids to ride. And as we got older, they all dropped out and I gradually inherited the horses. So, uh, you know, good for me. I ended up with four horses to ride and, and they all had their own little abilities. So I had one that I could jump with and one that I could do pony club with and, and it worked out well. One that taught me to fall off really well. She uh, she did that on a regular basis. Mm. But uh, it was a great experience to, to have access to so many different forms of riding. I think it's very easy to get stuck in one style and, and mm. one thing, whereas when you can do different events, it, it opens your eyes up to what's available and, and what you can do. Mm. What circumstances led you to riding thoroughbreds in track work at the Pioneer Park racetrack in Alice Springs? Uh, my... My mum and my now stepdad, Dudley McIntyre, um, met up and Dudley, before my time, was actually a trainer at, at Alice Springs. Uh, he still had friends there, so we used to go out to the stables and, and catch up with people and we kept our ponies there um, as, a, as an adjustment set up. So started doing things to help out in return for having the horses there so I could you know, do some stables, which eventually there was there was one female trainer up there who gave me a, a bit of time in as far as getting me more interested in doing something further with it. Mm. And a lot of the horses there don't work on the track. They actually work at the back along the creek bed, which is a dry creek bed. Mm. So we used to ride the ponies out the back there and, and then we started to take the race horses out the back there. So that was the start of racing racing influence and track work. Mm. Is that the Todd River? Yes, that's it. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a race course in itself. That's, that's it. You get something that's a bit naughty up on the banks, you go down in the in the heavy sand and they, they mm. soon uh, change their tune. <laughs> you know, when the legendary racehorse Kingston Town was retired, he was taken on a farewell tour all over Australia. He turned up in Alice Springs and for a publicity shot, uh, they gave him a little canter along the dry riverbed of the Todd River. I can, I can remember seeing the photo. Oh, wow, that uh, would have been an experience for him. <laughs> and a champion, a former champion jockey, I think was on his back for that publicity shot, the legendary Ron Quinton. Wow, that's yeah, that would have, that'd be a good photo to get a hold of, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll see if I can get a copy and put it on the website one day. Now... <laughs> Kath, the idea of being a professional track work rider appealed to you a little bit. Did you enrol at the famous Marcus Oldham College? Um, yeah, I sent off an application. So the the trainer that I had been working for, she actually moved away from Alice Springs, and females in racing back then were were very rare. So the chance to get in with someone else was quite limited. 
So I I enjoyed racing. I enjoyed thoroughbreds. Uh, I'd put in an application to Marcus Oldham College because they had a track work and breeding program going on. So it was an option to continue what I had already learned mm. um, and then also put in an application to an employment agency that was offering jobs in racing, uh, which I then I received back from both of them that I could go to Marcus Oldham or I'd received notification of a job available for Noel Mayfield Smith at Hawkesbury. Mm. So, right. uh, yeah. so you went to Noel's uh, property there at Hawkesbury, which he named after one of his all-time best horses, Angst. It's now called Angst Lodge. And uh, you couldn't have landed in a better place. Uh, one of the gentlemen of racing, Noel Mayfield-Smith, and his wife, Emma, who would have been riding work alongside you in that era. Yes, yeah. And to look back now, it's quite interesting. I, I learned to ride. Uh, Emma was riding. And jockey-wise, we had uh, Kenny Dunbar and Grant Buckley used to come in a couple of times a week. So I actually, mm. the first time I ever rode at Horsford Racecourse was with Kenny, and now I get to ride with him in races. So it's a it's mm. a big circle as it goes around. And ha- uh, for what period of time were you with Noel Mayfield-Smith? Uh, I think I'd have been there about about 12 months. I ended up uh, moving up to Newcastle uh, with a friend, so sort of moved back out of the area and went up the coast. But, uh, yeah, I think mm. 12 months I was there. Right. Now, only a few weeks ago, Kath, you were very chuffed to pick up a ride for Noel Mayfield-Smith at a Bathurst meeting. I think he had another jockey engaged for the ride and that jockey was running late or rang in sick. Uh, but I know Noel came looking for you on the day when he realised you were there. Um, it was it was quite a, an amazing moment. I, I'm generally renowned for not running late but always pushing the boundaries of getting places on time and I had got to Bathurst early that day and I was actually at the shops with my daughter and the stewards called and said uh, how far away are you and I said oh I'm actually I'm in town so they said well if you hurry up and get to the track then we're in the first mm. uh, I said okay so what what weights it got so I know what saddle to have organized and uh, they told me the weight and I said to my daughter while we were driving I said can you just have a look and see what horse I'm riding mm. and she said oh yes yeah this is the horse's name it's for Noel Mayfield Smith and I went Wow, that's <laughs> wow. I never thought I'd be riding in those colours. So it was quite quite a, a thrill and quite amazing to get the opportunity to ride for him. Next chapter in the life of Kath Bell, as you were known then, was at Newcastle, where there's a huge horse population and good track work riders are in keen demand. I think Alf Peters was the first trainer you worked for. Yes, Alf Alf had a horse, uh a couple of horses there at the time, but a, an old grey horse called Carla Spirit. Mm-hmm. And um, he sort of coming very, very early in the morning. He'd walk the horse down. He had the had his stables up at the 400-metre mark, and he'd walk the horses down to the track and saddle them up and work them at 4 o'clock in the morning. He was always the first person there. Uh, so started off just, just riding a horse for him. Um, I was doing a bit of work on the ground for Alan Scores, but not riding. So Alf was the first person that, that let me have a go track work. Mm. And I think, uh, like anywhere, once people see see you riding and see that you're not um, you know, completely incapable, they're, they're happy mm. to give you a chance. So it, it built up from there. But um, Alf, Alf, absolute gentleman um, and someone that I did, did keep in touch with for years and then lost touch eventually. But uh, got to the point where he actually he had a stroke and, and lost his eyesight and couldn't drive properly. Mm. So I used to pick him up and, and drive him to the track and we'd bring the horses down together and he gave me every every chance he had to give me a race ride he did and, and just, mm. you know, absolutely lovely person to be around. Oh, that's good to hear. Another Newcastle trainer, Steve Hodge, 
had a mayor at that time who was a barrier rogue. And as it turned out, you were the only rider in the place who could get her to go into the gates at the regular barrier practice sessions. Uh, yes, Spike, Spike, we called her, Bon Voyage. She was actually, uh, I think Terry Drayton broke her in and then she, she went to Hodges. Uh, and I remember her, her trialling and racing and, and she'd get to the races and she wouldn't go in and we'd bring her back to track work and go to the barriers and she'd go in. And, and this happened a few times and, and Steve said to me, just just a passing comment one morning, he said, I, I wish you had your licence so you could just ride her at the races because she seems to go in for you. Mm. And that um, you know, started the brain ticking over as to, whether it was a possibility for me to do it. Um, said a lot of people growing up, I'd, I'd sort of still want to be a jockey and they'd said, no, you can't. So mm. there was a first person that really went, well, yes, you can. So mm. that was that was a start. Well, how did Terry Drayton come into the equation, another Newcastle trainer? Uh, so Terry and Steve had stables next door to each other and mm. Steve at that time, I sort of spoke to him about whether, whether he was serious, whether it was a serious comment that I could do it. And I was about to go on holidays and he, he sort of made the comment, if you can keep your weight down while you're not riding, then that's a good start. You don't want to be struggling to, with your weight as well as doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I came back from holidays and I kept my weight good while I was away. But uh, he uh, he was driving the Newcastle horse transport at that point and Les that owned it had, had, he had a heart attack or had heart problems. Mm-hmm. And uh, Steve said he, yeah, he was taking over the trucks and, and wasn't going to have as many horses in work. So it wasn't an option to go to him. Um, and, and sort of, I suppose, the close relationship that they, that him and Terry both had, that was the next option. Terry had the number of horses there and, mm. um, yeah, he sort of said he'd be happy to sign me up. So that was where I started. You were 19 years old when you had your first ride in a race. It was a mare called Systematic Lash, trained by your boss in a Class 2 at Cessnock. She'd also been your first trial ride earlier. Now, you ran third in that Cessnock race, Kath. Almost as good as a win. Uh, yes, and she was actually trained by Steve at that point. She was trained by Terry when I trialled her, and she ran mm. third in her trial. And then she was tra- trained by Steve when I rode her in the race um, and ran third again. Mm. Uh, and, and and an amazing experience. So my my dad actually was having a clean out the other day and sent me a photo that he had on the wall. And oh, I'm very young; I don't have the grey hairs, but the the <laughs> smile on my face in that photo that that probably says it all. Was yeah. Mm. <laughs> Well, you had to wait more than nine months before that precious first winner came along. Terry Drayton put you on Princess Zadia in a 900-metre maiden at Musselbrook and you led all the way to win. Hard to describe the feeling, isn't it? Uh, yes, and and then she was, I think she was favourite, but a, you know, maybe a $5 equal favourite, so not a short, short price. Uh, she still had a winter coat. She was still quite hairy. I know we'd spent the week beforehand trying to get her to, to look look the part. You know, I knew it was a race that was sort of a good race for her, but trying to tidy her up. And, uh, yeah, when she, when she came out and won, it, it was amazing. I had so many seconds running up to that. It, I, it just felt like I was great at running seconds. So when she finally won, that, that was amazing. Mm. Well, you waited nine months between your first ride and your first winner, but you only had to wait 24 hours for your second winner. The very next day, you won on a horse called Beamer for Mel Eggleston and it was Cameron Handicap Day at Newcastle. You didn't expect to be on him on such a big race day. No, and, and he was, yeah, it was, it was amazing getting my first winner, but absolutely mind-blowing that, that second day. Um, I'd, I'd ridden Beamer a few times. Mandy, Mandy Eggleston owned him and Mel was training him 
and he'd always had heavy weights. So I'd been able to ride him because I'd taken the weight off. And I knew he was running in that race and he was a bottom weight because it was the, the lead-up race to the Cameron Cup. So um, I never expected to get it. And when Mandy called, she she called and said, would you like to ride Beamer? And I'd, I'd remember where I was when she rang and that was it was amazing to get the opportunity. They were leaving. They were moving to the Gold Coast mm. and I didn't think I'd get to ride the horse again before they left. Mm. So the fact that I was going to get that opportunity, was that, that in itself was very emotional. Um, and then he won, and, and again, he led all the way, and he was a horse that, that used to get back and finish off well, but in that race, and he drew well in the, where the speed was in that, and uh, male instructions were to go forward, and, and we did, and we won, and, uh, yeah, there's there a lot of tears that day. <laughs> and in front of a big crowd, Kath, no doubt, Cameron Handicap Day is a very popular one. Uh, yes, and the I wasn't aware... I knew he was down in the weights and it was a tough field, but I wasn't aware of what the race was. And, and someone came in and said, you need to come back out. They're doing a, a presentation and you've got to do a speech. And and I, I was, there was no way I thought I was equipped for that. Like I said, I can't I can't talk in the microphone. That's not what I do. <laughs> um, so it, it was a sort of moment. And uh, I remember Kathy, who works for Bradley Photographers, she's, she's so quick, take take your vest off, put your colours on, do your hair. And, and she's got me all, all ready to go out there. So... Mm. Um, it, it was really good. I'm so glad she was there to help me get through that because I was in, in shock. But uh, just, yeah, just the lack of awareness of, of what kind of race that really was. Uh, and then Achave that ran second to me went on to win the Cameron Cup. So, um, yes, that was, that was a, a massive day. Yeah, it was called a trophy race uh, on yes, that, on yeah, that lead b- up big race. program. Yep. You had a great little run in your second season and you dead heated in the NJC Apprentices Premiership with Mitchell Bell, who's gone on to have a good career. That's worthy of bragging rights, Kath. Uh, I was lucky. I um, A lot of support that season. Di, Di Lumsden, actually, was, was my biggest supporter. I was lucky enough to partner with a horse called Zacharada. Mm. Uh, he was a little bit of a handful, uh, but he was a jump-and-run 900-metre specialist. Uh, I think I won three in a row on him or, or three in a place in between. Mm. Um, and then she also had Beautiful Dragon, who was as lovely as Zach was wild, mm. and just another honest little mare, which now has foals that are racing and, and making me feel very old when I realised that, hey, I rode their mum. Mm. Um, but uh, Di, was, Di was a great supporter, um, absolutely lovely person to ride for, but she, she gave me so many opportunities and that you know punched my numbers at Newcastle up in that season really well, so I'm, I'm glad I had the opportunity. During your time in Newcastle, you met your future husband, Daniel Pittermack, who was apprenticed to Paul Perry, and you tell me you made the relationship official over coffee one day. Yes, when, when we were younger, um, you know, we met each other, we both went to apprentice school together, um, Daniel had a girlfriend at the time, and I think I had a boyfriend at the time, but there was a group of us that all used to go out, uh, Daniel's cousin Nicole and I, stayed really good friends over the years. Um, but Daniel and I both went separate ways. So he'd you know, left Paul's and gone down to Melbourne and Sydney. And um, when I left Newcastle, I went to Canberra and Sydney and back to Newcastle. And, and it turned out we both ended up back there at the same time. And I remember talking to Nicole and, and she said, oh, do you know Daniel's back in Newcastle? I said, oh, no, I hadn't, you know, hadn't really kept in touch. We'd run into each other, but um, anyway, so we, we both went to her house for a barbecue one night. We, we both ended up there, and then the next day we went mm. for coffee and swapped phone numbers and sort of thought, oh, well, we'll uh, keep catching up and see how things go from there. You know, obviously, we're good friends when we were kids, so we had that 
relationship behind it and it just progressed from there. Yep, you're now a married couple and the parents of two great kids. Now, Kath, what went wrong after that? You suddenly lost your way and you became very depressed. You lost interest in racing. You lost interest in several things. Yes, I... I don't think I had the easiest time as, as a young apprentice and, and a lot of people have said that these days there's there's more and more apprentices starting off a little bit older and that certainly helps them. There's a few people that have said if they had started as 16-year-old kids, they probably wouldn't have lasted because they didn't have the mentality. Mm. Um, you know, I started off young. I probably didn't have the best start to it. I had a, a fair few falls. Um, I had, you know, Potentially there are people that were, were not helping me out and then I was not helping myself out. I was doing the wrong thing and mm. um, it just all snowballed and, and I remember getting to the point of just – and I, I moved to Canberra. I got out of Newcastle. I just – I can't do this anymore. And, and my dad was in, in Canberra um, and my brother and sister-in-law were down there and I went down there to visit them for a weekend. My brother had just had his uh, second baby and I went down to there and I and – you know, I think I got to that point of going, I can't do this anymore. I can't live this lifestyle anymore. I'm, I'm not happy. I'm depressed. I'm, mm. yeah, I'm not in a good place. So I packed up and moved to Canberra. And, and a couple of people have said, you know, oh, well, if you come back. And I said, no, I'm, I'm not coming back. That's it. I'm, I'm done. I've had too many bad experiences and, and I've had enough. I'm, I'm mm. away from racing. And I'm happy to stay away. Mm. We've mentioned Daniel's move to Wellington in 2012 and the time you spent away from one another. Now, when you and the kids finally joined him there, you decided to ride a little bit of track work, principally because you were bored. I bet it felt good the first morning you jumped on a horse. <laughs> it did, yes. I'm lucky. I actually had continued to ride. I have my own horse the whole way through. He was born at Newcastle race, race Course, actually. Um, there was a mare that was in work there and, and she broke down and, and a couple of weeks later she had a foal and the foal is now this lovely grey horse that I have. Um, so I had ridden the whole way through but when we moved out to Wellington and Daniel, you know, when we made the move, I'd been working pretty hard over on the coast, especially being there with the kids on my own. So when I came out here, he said, oh, look, you, know, you don't have to work. You can just stay home and do the kids. He said, oh, I'm going well enough that, you know, to support us and, and you can just relax and I'm, I'm not very good at relaxing, which most people will tell you, but uh, mm. I um, yeah, I went down the track with him a few times and Bridget Jones used to bring her horses down uh, twice a week from Dubbo for Daniel to ride and he said, oh, well, there's there's one here that's quite enough that you could ride her and mm. so I was, you know, one horse twice a week and I went, well, this is silly, so I went up to Gary McCartney and I said, uh, I'm, um, I'm, I'm keen to, to, you know, keep a bit of fitness and doing something. Have you got a, a horse that I could ride? And, and he's a... Uh, yeah, been been very careful all the way through of making sure that he he gives me horses that aren't going to do the wrong things. So mm. he had a nice nice quiet horse there, and he said, "Okay, well, you can start off with this one," and and it just continued from there. Well, uh, Daniel sustained an injury, didn't he, in a race fall, and before you knew it, you'd taken over a lot of his track work rides. Uh, yes, he had a fall up at Scone. It was it was a trial at the end of the day. Um, mm. And I, I remember getting the phone call. I was at Wellington or Stedford with my daughter doing the the music backstage and the phone rang and it was a number I didn't know. Mm. 
And for some, something just twigged in my head, and I, and I looked up the race results, and in the last race, I think Chad Lever had had a fall. Oh. Uh, and I went, okay, well, that was Chad, not Daniel, so I'm not sure what this number is that's called me. And then I remembered he was in the trial, and I looked at the trial and saw Lost Rider, and mm. so I straight away knew the number that was calling me was the stewards saying something yeah. had happened. Yeah. Um, and that actually they transported uh, Daniel to, to John Hunter from Scone with um, back injuries. Mm. So uh, I, I remember that night ringing around at that stage Daniel had been riding track work and riding in Dubbo and in Wellington and, and trying to cover this there's a massive shortage of track work riders out here as we all know. Mm. Um so trying to ring around everyone to let them know he wouldn't be there in the morning and trying to work out how much of it I could do to help keep people ticking over until they sorted it out. So mm. um yeah, so doubled doubled my workload and uh um yeah, had plenty of people that I couldn't help out but I was yeah. glad to be able to help some. Yep, and it fired you up again. Now, Kath, just stand by for a moment. We're going to clear a commitment on the podcast. Back with you after this. The catalogue is out for the 2021 English Classic Yearling Sale. In total, 803 yearlings have been catalogued, 620 in the main book, 183 in the highway session. The sale will run from February the 7th to February the 9th at Riverside and will be preceded by the running of the $2 million English Millennium at Randwick on the Saturday. 108 stallions will be represented at the classic sale, including 22 first season sires. 87% of the yearlings are Bob's eligible, while there are yearlings catalogued eligible for Vobus QTIS, West Speed, and also the South Australian Breeders and Owners Incentive Scheme. Since 2018, English auctions have produced 53 Group 1 winners. In the last four years, the Classic Sale has produced the winners of a Melbourne Cup, a Golden Slipper, an Everest, a Blue Diamond, a Randwick Guineas, and a Victoria Derby. Grab your copy of a catalogue bursting with quality. The English Classic Sale 2021. Who was it who suggested you should look at riding as an amateur? Uh, well, not an immediate suggestion. We, we went to Geary Picnics. Geary's obviously just up the road from Wellington. And we were there one day just as a go and have the day out. And they actually scratched a number of horses because they were short of jockeys. They didn't have enough riders there, so the horses had to be scratched. <laughs> and uh, I remember saying to Daniel, well, that, that's a shame. Like, and they don't let there – there was a number of professional jockeys that were at the race meeting, but they weren't allowed to ride. So that, you know, that was no help to anyone. And uh, and I said to him, well, well, I could I could do this. There's, you know, there's no weight limits um, you, you pretty much know your calendar for the year, like all the picnics are on a fairly set date, so you can have a look ahead and know when you're supposed to be riding. Mm. At that stage, they they didn't clash with the meetings that Daniel would be at, so he'd be able to look after the kids when I was riding and vice versa, so mm. that was going to be okay. Um, so it was just a, I suppose, a doable option that mm. the more I got back into track work, the more I'd enjoyed it and, and coming back into racing as an, as an older person with a different mentality, mm. um, didn't have to be an apprentice didn't have to worry about races through the week, so there was a lot of, of positives to it. So, mm. uh, yeah, it was the right way to have a look. You were within a few weeks of making your debut as an amateur rider when Lady Luck deserted you. You had a track fall, three fractured vertebrae. You were shattered. What did the specialist say? Uh, yeah, so <laughs> when I fell off, I actually fell off on the Sunday 
Um, and I went up to – my dad was here and I, I just was trying not to alarm him but I, I wasn't feeling very well and, and I, I came home. Um, Gary McCartney actually brought me home and he said, do you want to go to the hospital? I said, no, no, it's fine. It's, it's just – something's just pinching. It's okay. So mm. came home and, and when dad left that afternoon, I said to Daniel, I, I think I need to go and get this checked out. So I drove myself up to Dubbo Hospital mm. and walked in there and said, I've, I've had a fall and my back's really sore and – and they did some x-rays and said, oh, no, that's, we can see the, the imprint of your vest on your back. So it, it's just soft tissue damage. And they sent me back home. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had Monday morning off. Tuesday morning I went in. Uh, Bridget Jones had a horse that was a bit of a handful that I'd been riding. Um, and she was coming down. And Gaynor Williams was bringing horses across here at that point. And we had one, had a horse to jump out that she was trying to get to a trial. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Daniel said, look, you know, we can get – they don't horses don't have to work. Uh, Daniel was out with a shoulder injury at that point, so he wasn't even riding. Mm. And uh, he said, I'm, I'm sure everyone's okay if you don't go in. I said, look, I'm, I'll go and do these two horses. I need to do you know, the, the one that's a bit naughty and I need to do gainers so she can get her to the trials. So I went in and I rode those two and uh, wasn't in a real good way by the end of it. Um, and I, I went back to the doctors and they sent me back up to Dubbo and they did a CT scan and – were a bit alarmed and, and remember the, the doctor coming out saying, um, you, you need to go. I was at the um, imaging place and they said, you need to go to hospital if you've got multiple fractures in your back. And, and I said, no, like, like I drove here. I rode horses this morning. I'm fine. And, and they said, no, you're not. You need to go to hospital. Mm. Um, so, yeah, potentially I think the fractures were sitting quite flush, which didn't show in the x-ray. So obviously when I've then ridden those couple of horses, it's, shifted everything and, and caused a fair bit of pain and um, obviously then made it more obvious in the scans. Mm. So when I went to the doctors, uh, sent me to the physio um, and and his comment, I said, look, I, I, I started all this to ride a Geary and Geary's in eight weeks. What do I do? And they said, you know, broken bones, you're generally six weeks. Mm. If you can do everything that we tell you for this, those six weeks, you need to, <laughs> you know, lay still and do you know, everything by the book. You can't shirk on any little responsibility or there is no chance that you're going to be back riding. Mm. Um, so I did. We set up the lounge room. I had the bed and everything in the lounge so that I could watch the kids and, and still do as much as I could do with them and mm. um, get it going. And eight weeks later, I, I managed to ride a Geary picnic. You so did. that was that was pretty cool. Yeah, you didn't <laughs> ride a winner, but you were absolutely stoked and away you went. On the picnic circuit, you rode at three major picnic race days in the northwest, popularly known as the Golden Triangle. And to win one or two or all three of those races is the ultimate for any amateur jockey. You won two of them, the Malawar Cup and the Wean Cup for Peter Sinclair, the very, very great Moree trainer. Yes, I was I was really lucky the the first year that that was the first year I'd been up there, um, and I think Peter had a number of horses in a lot of races, so I sort of picked up where some of the other jockeys had been riding for him regularly. Um, I'd picked up some of the other ones, and Maury, I had a really good a good day there, um, and it, it was sort of oh that was it was worth it. It was a long trip, so it was nice that the trip had been paid off with a couple of placings, and I think. I got the point. I, I won the point score that day with my placings. So that golden triangle also does a reward for jockeys, where if you get the highest point score, 
for each meeting, you get a bonus. And if you get the highest point score overall for the three meetings, you get another bonus. Mm. Um, so it was, you know, it was a good way to start off that I had won the point score at Moree. Um, and absolutely loved riding for Pete, like great, great person to ride for and, and really supportive and, and kept with me, you know, then let me stick with those horses the whole way through. So, mm. um, yeah, it was a really, really good kickstart to, to riding up that, that area. Two months later, you hit the deck again, sustaining injuries to a shoulder and a thumb. But that was minor compared to the next one. You were riding a horse on a private property at Dubbo, horse simply reared, uh, the stirrup leather slipped off the little metal hook that holds it in position, and you didn't think anything of it. You just walked over to slip the stirrup leather back into place, and you're not even sure what happened after that. Um, yeah, I, I remember hopping off, and I remember my feet hitting the ground um, and thinking, oh, that's, that's a pain. I'm going to try and put this stirrup back on. And then the next thing I remember, the, the horse had come over on top of me backwards, and mm. I tried to roll to get it out and didn't roll quick enough, and she came down across my stomach and pelvis. Yeah. Um, and and I remember that she took off, and, and I could hear her coming back down the track towards me, and I remember thinking, I need to get out of the way before she comes back down, and I couldn't move to get mm. myself back off the track. Mm. Um, and, and Bridget came over, running over to check I was okay, and um, she'd called the ambulance. And, and I remember saying to her, you need to call Daniel. I was up in Dubbo and, and Caitlin, our daughter, was at dancing. And I remember saying to her, you need to call Daniel and tell him to pick Caitlin up at 7 o'clock. That was all I could think of was I'm not going to be able to drive to pick her up. Mm. Um, which, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a horrible feeling when you have things like that where you know you're not getting up in a hurry. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, you you got a very complicated sacroiliac injury out of that, uh, which required a trip to hospital. And during your hospitalisation, Daniel had a fall at Coonabarabran, breaking a foot in three places. You must have been in a pretty dark place at that time. Uh, yes, I, I think in in for memory I laughed. Um, Janine Janine McMillan actually called me. She's the the photographer out here, and she was at at Kuna with Daniel. Um, probably some things turn out lucky. Daniel's mum, when I had had a fall, had come out from Newcastle to help him with the kids, uh, and she was going to go to the races with him that day and had opted to stay home. So he'd gone to Kuna, she was home with the kids, and I was in hospital. And Janine called me and said, uh, now, Daniel Daniel doesn't want me to call you, but before someone else does, I need to let you know that he's okay, he's had a fall, he's conscious, I'm standing here with him. He said his, his toe hurts, but the rest of him's fine. Uh, and, and I hung up and I, and I think I laughed and, and one of the nurses said, uh, yeah, what's – and I said, I, people have quite often said it when I started riding – um, there was a bit of concern about me going back racing, even at the picnics, that what happens if the pair of you get hurt? And and we'd said it, what's the chances of us both getting hurt at the same time? We're not even riding at the same race meeting. Oh, so, yeah. you know, it, it's not very likely to happen, but mm. no, sure enough, uh, and three weeks out from our wedding. So it yeah. uh, was, was very bad timing. <laughs> now, miraculously, you both made it to the wedding without crutches but I hear you were very unimpressive in the bridal waltz. <laughs> I, uh, my, my dad had, had polio as a kid um, and, w- yeah, was, walks, walks with crutches and has had obviously quite a bad limp his whole life. Uh, and the phone call he made was, do you think um, he, he gets around on one of those scooters? 
And he said, well, that's okay. Do you think I should polish up another scooter and we can both ride the scooters down the aisle? <laughs> I said, no, no, no. We will both be walking. It's only 26 steps. We've already measured it. We'll both be walking down the aisle. Mm. Um, but, yeah, so it was a it was a very quiet dance that day and, and a very quiet night. But but we got there and, and the wedding was amazing. It was, you know, had, had all of our favourite people there. So it was great. To say Kath Bell Pitamac has been and remains a resilient person is an understatement. You couldn't wait to get back to the races. But you aimed for a quiet little return at the Gosford Race Club's Melbourne Cup Day picnic meeting. Now, you only took one ride, but all that changed. Uh, yes, had the one ride, and I thought being being out of area, you know, a lot of the picnics are out here, and and everyone rides out here in their bigger days. Uh, Gosford it tends to be a smaller meeting, and only only a handful of jockeys go, and everyone didn't sort of realise I was back. So I thought it'd be a good chance to go over there and just have one ride and test it all out. Uh, uh, one of the other jockeys got hurt the the morning of the races, and so I picked up a ride. And thought, oh, okay, that's that's two rides back. That's okay. I can I can do two. I'd, I'd been lucky. I'd done some trials when I came back. Um, Gaynor Williams had given me a heap of barrier trial rides to check my fitness and that everything was working okay. So I was pretty confident that I was going to handle two and be okay. Um, the first one down there dumped me in the enclosure, uh, which wasn't a very good start. Um, <laughs> uh, but then proceeded to go out and win the race, and and the second one won as well. So that was a. Uh, a very um very big way to come back for a day that was supposed to be nice and quiet and, and discreet. You've won some very good picnic events, but the win to give you the biggest thrill of all was just an ordinary race at the Crookwell picnics. Why was a horse called Angleberry so special to you? <laughs> Because uh, I tend to like a challenge. Mm. <laughs> uh, Angleberry's been a little bit bit naughty, is you know, potentially his whole life. Uh, I suppose to ride him at Changi, and um, he he had a bit of a wobbly going out of the enclosure and got me off and got back on and he got me off again. And I went to get on a third time, and the stewards by this point said no. Um, and uh, Terry Fullwood's the trainer. Terry has been a massive support to me that the whole way since since the first I heard met him. Um, the whole time I was out hurt, he used to call and and I'd think I'm, I'm I can't help you, I can't ride, you know, I'm, I'm no use to you. And he'd say, no, no, I'm just just calling to say hello and just just checking up. Uh, mm. And throughout my whole career and all my injuries, he's he's constantly you know calls just to see how I'm going and, and keep in touch. And it's the people like that 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 make me really enjoy being back. So Angleberry, I then you know, Terry trains at Narromine, and I said, okay, I'll, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to we're going to work through this. So mm. I said, I'll come up to Narromine and ride him work, and we'll we'll try and get on top of him and see if we can work out to not keep having these little tantrums and and see if we can get somewhere. So it was nice that uh, he eventually let me get on his back without throwing me off, uh, and then even nicer when we proceeded to win a race. So it's it's a nice achievement, you know. I think. I think when you win on, you know, any win's a good win. When you win on favourites, it's good. But when you win on horses that are long shots or horses that have been a challenge or that you know that the horse or the trainer or the owners have been through a journey, it's so much more rewarding. It means so much more to get those wins than it does on things that are just expected. Mm. There were two key elements to your re-emergence as a professional jockey. And they were a trainer called Michael Mulholland and a horse called Demonize. 
Yes, Jack. We call him Blackjack. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and so many things. I, I'm a big believer in things happen for a reason. Uh, and there were so many little things behind that. So I trialed Demon Eyes um, back when I was doing trials and at the picnics. And his owner, Kel Turner, actually he he ran third in the trial. Um, he he'd been a horse that I think they thought had ability. He's always had problems with his feet. He's always been little. Um, and things have just not worked out for him. But for whatever reason, we get along. He's a, he's a little bit quirky. Um, he's lost a few riders in his time as well. And Kel used to say to me, when, when are you going to get your real license so you can come and ride my horse at the races? And I said, oh, I'm too heavy and I, I can't do it. No, it means I have to be an apprentice and no one will take me on because I'm old. And yeah, <laughs> there was there were so many negatives as to why this was not going to happen. And uh, a string of events, you know, did happen, um, one one being, you know, when Daniel got hurt and I picked up his workload, my weight came down. Um, I changed my diet and cut a lot of sugar out of my diet so my weight came down. Mm. And um, and then uh, Samara Johnson, one of the riders at the picnics, um, she was killed in a car accident and we we weren't close, like, you know, we were old friends, but we weren't someone that talk, we didn't talk every day or anything like that. But I think she was just a young person just going about life, doing the right thing, and that happened. And it was just a real eye-opener as to how unfair life can be and how you need to make the most of things. You know, if, if I was going to go and do this, I need to go and do it and have a crack. Um, you know, Daniel had been saying it to me for a while when I came back from my last fall. Like, if you're going to do this, you, you should go and do it and, and make the most of it. So yeah. I think everything just fell into place. Um. Demon Eyes figured in a, another fairy tale for you and Daniel one day at a local Wellington meeting. He rode a double and you won on Demon Eyes. Uh, the camp got three winners on the program. You couldn't have written the script any better than that. Yeah, it probably would have been better if I'd got the two winners and Daniel only got one. But, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <that's- laughs> Good point. <laughs> it, it was a great day and, and Demon Eyes has been a great horse and, you know, Mick, Mick's been, a, it's obviously then offered to sign me up as an apprentice um, mm. and he's been brilliant. So my first win as an apprentice was was on Demonize. That was my next win on him. And that day at Wellington, the local local crowd, local support, it, it was just amazing. Just when you thought you'd used up all of your bad luck, disaster struck again. It was a Sunday meeting at Tamworth in March 2019. And you were one of five to come down in an awful crash involving Greg Ryan, Josh Adams, Wendy Peel, Rachel King and yourself. Three of the horses were fine. Sadly, two had to be euthanised. Greg Ryan was unhurt. Rachel King was back in six weeks. Wendy Peel was out for several months. And Josh Adams has only just resumed riding in Queensland. Now, you were discharged from hospital with fractured ribs, but there was a lot more than that going on. Um, yes, it's. I still don't remember that. I, I, the last thing I remember of that fall was being in the barriers. Uh, mm. And then the next thing I remember was 
uh, talking to Daniel and saying, oh, I have to get back to the races. I'm riding Red Liberty in the last. And I was so looking forward to riding him. I was, that was, you know, he'd been one of those horses that I was just desperate to ride. Mm. And Daniel said, uh, the, the races are over. And I said, oh, I've got to get to Narromine. Oh, I'm, I'm riding Star of the Zoo, who was another mm. really special horse. I've, I've got to get to Narromine. He said, ah, it's, it's Monday. So I'd lost days there. I, um, and, and, and yeah. couldn't work out. And, you know, the doctors had done scans and, couldn't work out what was going on. And, and I remember a doctor saying to me, um, my, my eyesight was not working. I couldn't judge things properly. They, they're trying to get me to walk down the hallway and I couldn't walk. I couldn't see where things were to walk straight. And it looked like there was a hundred people when there was two. Mm. Um, and they said like, we, we can't find anything wrong. So you may just have to accept that, that this is as good as it gets and, and that you're finished. Uh, and, and I didn't like that. I, I really didn't like that option. Um, I came back to Wellington and was at my son's soccer game. I, I was so desperate to get back to normal. I came back and I wanted to go to the stables and, and I wanted to just – I was trying to pretend that I was normal and I really wasn't. Uh, and and uh, um, one of his teammates' mum's actually a GP and she she sort of saw me at the soccer game and she spoke to me later on and, and she said, I'm a bit concerned. I really think you, you need to go and see a neurologist or – um, you know, I, I think you need to look into this further. This is this is not normal. Mm. Um, her husband Fletcher Ivy is a physiotherapist who specialises in concussion rehab, uh, and just you know, again, things happen for a reason. Fletch had just moved from Dubbo down to Wellington to open up rooms in Wellington, so he saw me the next morning and um, you know, organised things. Went down to the neurologist in Sydney, and they did scans and discovered that I had. Um, multiple bleeds on the brain they, they call it uh shearing so i basically had grazed my brain which had affected nothing in a big way but lots of things in little ways yes. so my speech my eyesight so many things just had little blips to them that i couldn't and i, I couldn't explain because i was still in there and i could see myself doing things and i couldn't express to people what what was wrong because mm. i i couldn't couldn't communicate that yeah um and and i've never had a brain injury and and it, it really is a, a horrible experience and people can't see it if you've got a broken arm they can see it's in plaster and it's broken mm. and they get it people don't understand head injuries and, mm. and it's a real issue yep how long were you out um i think it was just uh well, yeah, just under 10 months that i got back i'd originally um, oh, originally uh, there was probably from ribs. I was six weeks, and I remember talking to Sue Big, whose horse I was on. Um, I'd ridden Mal Zoom and ran second the day before Tamworth, and I wanted to ride him his next start um, at Narrabri, I think it was. And I was adamant. I was. She she still says now. She said you were adamant you were riding, and and there was no chance you were riding. Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so I'd set myself a few targets along the way, which was maybe the wrong thing to do because when I didn't meet those targets, I, I got really depressed and I really, really struggled because I wasn't achieving what I wanted to. But, uh, yeah, 10 months, which ended up less than a year. So that mm. was that was a bonus. Mm. You've had the support of several Western Districts trainers, but I know there are two you'd like to acknowledge. Oh, so so many I'd like to acknowledge, um, but that stand out. You know, pe- people locally said Gary Gary McCarney's been great. Karen McCarroll, who's been awesome here, she's helped with the kids. Um, everyone locally that's given me track route to get back, but someone who from even back to the picnic days, uh, Gaynor Williams has just been absolutely amazing. Um, you know, when I was trying to get my barrier trial rides to get my picnic license, uh, I knew Gaynor a little bit before I got into racing. Uh, or into riding myself, um, and we've always got along quite well. But 
she's been a massive support and, and you know, giving me horses that are the right horses for where I'm at. You know, she doesn't put me on things that are the wrong things. She'll go, yep, that's that's where you're at with your trials. So, um, you know, we, we I feel like we work well together, but she gives me really good opportunities. Uh, and then later on I've started riding a bit for Darlan and mm. I just enjoy riding for him and, and I feel like every time I ride for him, whether we have success or not, I feel like I learn something. There's always feedback he gives me that helps my riding. Mm. Um, we've been lucky enough to pair up with a little uh, two-year-old Praline that, She's had a lot of success and, and she's looking like an exciting horse going forward. But uh, every horse I've ridden for Dar, I feel like I've learned something from him and from the horse and, and I really love that. Lovely tribute uh, to both Dar Lunn and Gaynor Williams. Now, there's another person deserving of a very special mention and that's your manager, Erica Berry, who's there for you in good times and bad. Yes, I think best best thing I ever did when I started off um, my apprenticeship with Mick, he said, uh, "Don't don't get a manager, do it yourself for a little while and see how you go, and then you know you can go from there." And uh, Erica was actually managing Daniel um, the last few years of his of his career, but um, I remember being I was writing track work for Gainer, and I remember standing there one morning with the horse in one hand and the phone in one hand and the race calendar in front of me trying and thinking, I can't do this. I, you know, acceptance has come out at 9 o'clock and you're still writing track work. This is just not working. And so I spoke to Mick and he said, no, look, you've, you've had a decent enough go yourself. You've got a bit of client base build up. So I think now's the time to get someone. Um, so I spoke to Erica about whether she'd be keen to take me on as well. Uh, and she luckily she agreed. And she has been amazing. Yeah, not yeah. You know, we say a, a manager can have so many roles. Like it's not just about booking your rides and and chasing that end of it up, but it's you know going doing a debrief at the end of the day. But the whole time I was off hurt, um, you know, she wasn't getting paid. She's not she's not on a retainer or anything like that. But she would speak to me constantly, and probably the only person that never ever, uh, you know, I don't know whether she thought it, but she never let out that there was any doubt about me coming back. You know, there were people that questioned if I was going to come back. There's people that questioned if I should come back. And Erica's only question was ever the timeline I set. You know, I'd say, oh, I'm going to get back for this. And she'd say, oh, well, we'll just see how we go. You know, like maybe might, you know, that's a good target, but we'll just see. And, you know, just so supportive the whole way through and, and caught so many phone calls from me on, on the bad days and mm. uh, absolutely amazing person to have supported me through that, that time with, you know, no, no repayment for herself. No. Um, and then when I've come back, she's continued with me and, and we're having a pretty good run. Great manager and a great person. Now, we're running out of time, Kath. We've had a decent old chat. But quickly, back to the kids. I hear Caitlin has always loved to dress up for the junior category of the fashions in the field at the major country meetings, and she's done very well. But after a slow beginning, Marcus has followed suit and he's had a few cracks in the male section. Yes, yes, they've both had a lot of success. And, like, like we're all biased. We think our kids are fabulous. But I, I, I so often sit back and look at my kids and think for what they have been through with us, they are amazing. Like, they, they traipse around to races. They go all over the countryside. Uh, we've taken them to Broken Hill. Like, we've, we've been everywhere. Uh, Caitlin has always been girly, always loved the fashion. She's a dancer. She'll tell you she doesn't ride horses because she's a dancer, mm. and that's five days a week, her dance commitment at the moment. Yeah. Uh, and, and Marcus used to be quite shy, but he would always, always hang off of her, so she'd go up to do fashions on the field with his little brother in tow. Mm. Uh, and now as he's got older, he's uh, got a bit, bit more confident in his own right. Now he goes out and uh, mm. 
it's, uh, you know, poor, poor Caitlin now goes into the team category and she's a little bit uh, less competitive. But Marcus <laughs> is Marcus is right out there and, and quite yeah. happy when he can bring home a pack of lollies and a, and a prize. Yeah, Caitlin's in wait for age company now. That's, that's it. <laughs> now, Daniel's not riding currently following a few nasty injuries and you tell me he's working on the barriers at the local meetings. I bet he'd love to jump on one. Uh, I think he'd absolutely love to jump on one. He's, um, yeah, it's it's been a really probably a heartbreaking process uh, in so many ways. Like I've I've had that fall, which yeah, yes, showed significant damage to my brain, and and oh, I got better and I came back. Daniel has had a lot of falls and a lot of hits to the head, and a a has probably never had that that medical profession that has made him sit it out and get better before he comes back. So he probably knocked himself a few times when he shouldn't have been back. Yeah. Um and it's and it's now catching up. So um yeah, we are dealing with the the potential that he won't come back to riding. Originally it was racing, but now it's probably track work as well. Um so starting to look at different options. Obviously he enjoys racing. He likes working with the horses. So he wants to still try and do something. Um, so he's been been given a few shifts on the barriers, which he likes that. But you know, mm. he'd always rather be back. Out. We're all the same. We'd all rather be riding. None of us want to be grounded. Mm. Do you think, um, you think he'll come back? Uh, look, I think if he's given the chance, he would love to come back. I'm just not sure medically whether mm. uh, it's going to get to a point where they let him. Mm. Um, and he's looking into now doing um, training, uh, doing doing some courses in training and assessing. Mm. He's he said he'd really like to get into teaching other riders. You know, as we've said, there's a shortage of track work riders out here, mm. um, and there's a lot of kids, especially when working at the PCYC. You see a lot of kids that they're tough kids, they're athletic kids, and if you could get them working with horses, they've they've got the potential to do something with their lives. But um, you know, he's sort of said a little way through. He'd he'd like to get into the position where he could teach other riders and maybe that would help relieve the shortage of track work riders but also help give some kids an opportunity to do something with their life. So, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, that's what he'd like to pursue if, if he's not laid back in the saddle himself is to help other people to get into the saddle. Yeah, we wish him well. Kath, we're out of time. Colin Hodges, the voice of Western Racing, told me you'd be a very good story and he was dead right. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. And congratulations on a big job. Well done. Lovely to talk. Thank you so much for the opportunity, John. And this podcast was produced by Supernova Sound. <laughs> <laughs>